Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing RoboCop. Directed by Paul Verhoeven, The Untouchables by Brian De Palma, A Few Good Men by Rob Reiner, G.I. Jane by Ridley Scott, and newly released The Lost City, directed by Aaron Nee and Adam Nee. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Thomas Rucker, how's it going? It's going, uh, it's going really well, man. How was your uh, uh, your week? <laughs> your week of movies? <laughs> Tongue twister. Week of movies was, uh, you know, you heard that. It list. looked fun. It's it's all over the map. You I, know? We're exploring different decades. We, uh, absolutely, it's 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 a little bit all over. Tried my best to tie something into Lost City, didn't happen. Decided to watch what I want to watch, and there's some trolling going yeah, on. I noticed I'm, too. Yeah, there's one in there that I thought <laughs> was really put the bow on it for this yeah, week. Yeah, so. He's proud of himself, folks, on this one. Um, okay, so first of all, let's do something a little bit different. First of all, let's just quick cap off. <clears throat> we don't need to do a whole uh, oh. Oscar special, mm-hmm. but let's at least just run through it because sure. it's very hilarious. Sure. First thing I did, <laughs> hilarious I, I, didn't, is the word. I, I didn't watch them. I don't think you watched them either, no, right? No, no. Like, yeah. That's how little they mean to us. Yeah. And we have a movie podcast. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's how little it <laughs> Where we did folks the- at home. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up, and first thing, it, I mean, everything was just, will Will Smith lose his Oscar? Right, right. That's all it was. I and then, then I got to the Best Picture winner, and I mm. legitimately, I had a gut out loud, <laughs> like, LOL'd. I legitimately LOL'd. <laughs> Because Vincent Daly, quote, an Oscar film, this is not. <laughs> for quote, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> So I laughed. And I usually, like, if it was, like, four years ago, I'd be super upset about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think when I was younger, I cared more because it was it was tied to the Academy. And I you can, put a lot yeah, more credit it, into well, that. Well, it was supposed you know? to be prestigious. Yeah. And then, you know what I mean? And you realize these are just people slapping each other. And they know nothing. <laughs> and the Oscars is a joke. <laughs> right. I was officially I was done for a while, but I was officially done uh, when Spotlight won Best Picture. Oh, and yes. when The Revenant was yes. also in. Oh, that's right. Of yeah. course. Of I mean, course. you had again. You had Wes Anderson. Um, whoa, no, well, no, not Wes Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for Licorice Pizza, mm-hmm. and you had Dune. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you had even the woke one of um, whatever the Power of the Dog and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, everyone was saying Power of the Dog was going to be. You uh, said Belfast was really great. Yeah, and um, uh, Coda. I, I don't know. 
It, it, I think the shame is Belfast just because the story was so personal for Kenneth Branagh. Right. Uh, and then, you know, again, I'm not saying that it wasn't personal for Coda, but it's a Disney Channel movie. You know, it's a Hallmark movie. Right. You know? And I don't think anything as far as shorts or animated film, nothing surprising there. No. I mean, good for Dune for some of the uh, technical side of things yeah. and film editing and everything like that. That's awesome. I was happy with that. Uh, and Canto, of course, picked it up because it's Pixar. You know, uh, I mean? Right, right. I obviously. The, the, my long shot was Mitchell's versus the Machines. Uh, yeah, I know. It was you had yeah. kind of your heart set on but, that one yeah what, what else is new Pixar winning you know no of course of course yeah. and uh yeah and Coda won the, the one film that absolutely probably should have came in 10th out of that list of 10 <laughs> out of the entire list oh uh, that's of not 10. true probably don't look up oh true although true. you gave it a 74 you enjoyed it <laughs> you did not um we need a retroactive Tommy <laughs> Two Shoes for, for don't look up but uh, you know, it's it's just like all right. It's, that's why I literally laughed because it's like it's yeah. su- it's it's such a joke at this point. I know. And, and I will say, well, one you did say um, it was ridiculous for the Coda to be in that ten in that mm-hmm. list, mm-hmm. as you said, basically Disney Channel movie. Yep. But you did say that supporting actor d- deserved every right to be there. Yeah, so good and, for him. And, for, and he he got it. Yeah, yeah so I was for him I was that. pretty happy with that. Yeah. Uh, and and definitely deserved uh, that type of recognition. You know, the acting role can be different than a best picture. I don't think they need to be hand in hand. And we see that with a lot of nominations, especially in best yeah. supporting actress or best actress in general. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I'll take I'll take Spencer over over uh, Coda. You know, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. There's even there's even you know even in their own nominations there you can. Put I mean, it is crazy. It. Was House of Gucci in the top ten? And then no, and no. it's just like it. Over Coda deserved to be right, in that, right. you know what I mean? Again, yeah. just for the performances alone are phenomenal, yeah. which got snubbed. Which, again, kind of funny because it's Ridley Scott. <laughs> Ridley Scott did make an appearance yeah. through jokes yeah, from right. Chris Rock, right? Right. Um, but it's uh, pretty much all Ridley got that night. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but really, honestly, and even you know, it, it's a joke that Coda won. I mean, mm. fine. It's a, you know nothing personal against the actors or anything like that. It's just like the movie wasn't up to snuff. Yeah. And it won, and that's ridiculous. But at the same time, I feel bad because they did win. Mm-hmm. They they deserved. They took took home the little golden men. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one cares, no one's talking about it, and forever, when they think back of the 2020, mm-hmm. I guess actually technically the 2021 Oscars, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no one will ever remember Coda. All right. It's, you know what I mean? It will be completely overshadowed yeah, it by would... a temper tantrum, you know, basically. Yeah, uh, just Will Smith and Chris Rock, yeah. and that's it, and it will forever yeah, be talked about, so exactly. I do f- feel really bad for those actors yeah. and the films that won. I agree, <clears throat> I agree. Uh, it, it's tough, because uh, I think, uh, to your point, the the next day that Oscars kind of live and die on. You know what I mean? You can just look up the list and everyone can kind of have that just from like a popcorn kind of scrolling through their feeds. Yeah, or, you're on the toilet the next yeah, morning. Exactly. You exactly know, where the Oscars good, belong. Yeah, that's good internet. You know, that's that's a list <laughs> at the old, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, well, but, I, mean, Will, I mean, Will Smith slamming Chris Rock, that's also good internet. <laughs> that is definitely good internet, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, I guess that's basically our take. Yeah, uh, yeah. We thought it was a joke, and it continues to be a joke. Absolutely. And, and listen. But we'll continue. And sure enough, this year, we're going to make sure we watch those best picture films <laughs> for 2022. <laughs> got to get them all we done. We got to get them all got done. race. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right, that's enough time on that. Yeah, we had to say well, something about it. We, we made our picks last week. And, I, yeah. uh, you know, 
maybe we're the joke. Who knows? Oh, right, right. Yeah, no sense in giving like a postmortem. You know? It's, yeah, yeah. It is. It's happened. It's gone. No oh, well. And here no, we are on to another year. Uh, so again, I'm excited for this film. I mean, for this show. I really like the for just the variety of film that we have. There here. is. Yeah. Maybe not co- a lot of cohesion between them. But I, uh, I mean, I like that personally. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it was a nice surprise when we sat down here and did this. But um, we're gonna start with one a name that everybody knows, whether you've mm. seen it or not. Mm. We're back in 1987. Mm-hmm. This is RoboCop. And how did this classic, uh, how did it fare? Right, right. So uh, RoboCop uh, with Paul Verhoeven as the director, uh, he's got a pretty interesting run. Uh, and much like we covered early on in the podcast, or kind of stepped into with Cronenberg being a little bit of a study. We just wrapped the very brief study of, uh, of George Lucas. Uh, when it comes to Paul Verhoeven, this particular director has a monumental run from 1987 to 1997. Hmm. Uh, th- five films that we're going to be covering uh, over the course of a few weeks, oh, chipping cool. away at it. All right. Uh, I like that. And really, I wanted to study overall his his style. He has a very distinct world-building style. He likes using commercials. He likes using society to kind of tell and be a shorthand for his his world-building. So, I think uh it was it was it was I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh iconic doesn't exactly mean good though. And I think mm-hmm. for RoboCop, of course, Tom may be slightly aware from us talking about movies for many years, but for folks at home, you know, just because something is classic, just because something uh, you know, can fit into very iconic pop culture, I don't think that equates to good and certainly uh it doesn't always equate to a, a good modern watch, you know, maybe good for the time, but ah, we're not course. focusing on that. Uh, we're watching the here now. Exactly, exactly. Uh, as far as Paul Verhoeven, even though I may not love RoboCop, uh, I can always appreciate a style. And, and like we have always covered on the show, show, I adore watching directors' works consecutively. It's my favorite thing to do. No, it's fun. I, and yeah. I think for most people, yeah. you watch a movie just like, oh, what else does this guy have? Oh, right, yeah. exactly, exactly. So uh, it doesn't get more iconic than RoboCop. Uh, and while you may look at this film and say oh it has to be a classic it has to be good uh my argument here is again it it, that doesn't that doesn't (laughs) equal itself Uh, robocop is a big bloody rated r action film uh about alex murphy a beat cop in futuristic dystopian detroit there's a tongue twister for you (laughs) (laughs) um that uh, murphy gets involuntarily turned into a cyborg after a tragic event that uh, really leaves him mangled. Um, part of my part of my dissection of RoboCop is that there are a lot of things that the film tries to do, but the core of it is sell this idea of Murphy, played by Peter Weller. Uh, it, it's it, my, the core of my criticism is that that core of the film is not too enjoyable, and it's hmm. primarily tied to Peter Weller. Uh, I'm not, you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, folks. I do not enjoy him as an actor at all. I do not think that he's been in a single good film. Going he, back, uh, he was start that Star Trek movie, right? <laughs> he's in Into Darkness. Yeah, not a good movie. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
you know, I, not that it's so controversial that I'm, you know, taking my knives out on a on a, an actor that <laughs> is now just doing, you know, like video game tie-ins and whatnot. But, you know, Buckaroo Banzai, one of my least favorite films of all time. Uh, I and I just don't enjoy Weller on screen. How where this ties into, you know, preference aside, RoboCop is a robot. Uh-huh. You know, groundbreaking criticism. I'm really bringing the A game here <laughs> for it. <laughs> and and believe me, I'm not expecting Shakespeare. I'm not expecting emotion out of it. But Weller's acting as RoboCop is literally any child's acting of what a robot does. Lines come off very goofy without any sort of of comedy, without any sort of uh, emotion. And obviously, he's supposed to kind of draw a difference from who he is before RoboCop and be, you know, devoid of everything, devoid of who he was prior. But I cannot stress enough, I do not enjoy... (laughs) I think it is terrible acting. Wow. And, And Sinks, an iconic movie. I would be happy to call... Uh, RoboCop iconic. I think it sinks it for what the film is trying to go for, uh, and and Weller just not being badass at all. Uh, and when again, this is the core oh, he, of this big bloody rated R action film. He just wasn't. He wasn't even badass. No, not at all. Uh, I, I I hate his one liners in this. <laughs> I I really can't stand the the robotic acting. It, it just it just feels like a a, a Honestly, I, I'm not trying to be too harsh on it, but it feels like a child's performance of what a robot should be. Really? Yeah. Uh, this is this is uh, not good, and he sinks the movie for me. Uh, it, you know, my my preference for his acting aside, I think uh, RoboCop's style stands out, but it's not good beyond its gimmick. You watch this film, especially this original RoboCop, and. There's just very little stakes. Uh, RoboCop does not have any sort of vulnerability. He's certainly a sympathetic character because he was kind of mutilated and turned into this robot. Right, right. Uh, But Weller does nothing to bring this home, and if anything, in my opinion, actively detracts from it. Uh, And that's that's really where (laughs) my my criticism is. Uh, A positive here is, uh, again, I wanted to watch these movies more so for Verhoeven's world building in his film. He has a deep love of commercials within his movie. Uh, The end of that year bracket that I gave you, 97, of course, ends with Starship Troopers, which uses commercials as a type of satire in the film, uh, which I'm excited to get to, much like how uh, The Fly was the objective or the end point for Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. Starship Troopers is the end point for, for Verhoeven. Uh, he's constantly giving world building, though. I think uh, it's a shame that Weller detracts so much in his in his acting and his in his piss poor acting. <laughs> uh, but it, when it comes to the world building that he does, it, it, it's all over the map. Uh, Verhoeven, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is very cynical. Corporations run the police. Uh, people in society are very crass, very selfish. There is a constant glimpse at society that Verhoeven does to 
tell the world and also kind of define our characters uh, from the world because they're obviously not participating in these kind of lower brow parts or part of the riots in dystopian Detroit. Um, part of dystopian Detroit, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel. Uh, in a modern day watching, it does not feel like a dystopian Detroit. Even really? among peers of 87, 1987 when this came out. There has been so much better post-apocalyptic cyberpunk type of things. It just doesn't. It doesn't sell the idea. Does it just feel like a, like, like a bad fake city then? Or like, uh, it feels it... like just normal Detroit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the point. You know. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, but it, it just doesn't sell that dystopian enough. Thankfully, this is sold through these these odd commercial uh, TV segments that mm-hmm. Verhoeven is incorporating to kind of define his world again. Uh, but it's just not there enough and doesn't sell the idea. Uh, you know, you watch this in a in a modern setting. Obviously, corporations running the cops is sci-fi. There's certainly a lot of riots. But again, I, I just don't think it's enough uh to to pull it home so uh all right the action here is is flashy with a huge amount of gore uh if if you've seen the original robocop i think one of the defining features is the the splashes of gore and and the practical effects that go into the gore but again i think it detracts from the film Uh, um if anything there's a lack of lethality to it Uh, even the wimpiest guy gets shot four times and is still like limping away and 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 talking oh interesting you know the gore is in excess you'll see um uh, i don't know what maybe what the technical term would be but these these explosions and practical effects probably layered on the actor's body yeah yeah uh, to line up with like the gunshots and whatnot it's shocking but it really does hurt itself because again even the the wimpiest of corporate executives is taking four bullets and then still going on a monologue it it, it weakens it. It, it yeah no absolutely it falls through on a lethality that Verhoeven is kind of trying to communicate in the world I mean the world is brutal yeah in Robocop, yeah yeah and it it it's I think it's a mismatch in style, and again, especially for a modern viewing. At the time, I am not denying the style here is iconic. I just don't think it's good. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Yeah. So, it's that type of combination of both the action and the action hero are bad. Uh, what are we here for? Uh, you know, what I mean, what what are we really? Here maybe for? maybe the sci fi <laughs> Well, I think this tell. I mean, I love sci fi. I know, you know but. Yeah. Uh, the B plot <laughs> is this corporate drama, which uh, admittedly it does add depth to the politics behind RoboCop. Okay. Uh, I think a pitfall of the, the remake of RoboCop is they lean way too much into this. And I think it's still a criticism here in original RoboCop because I don't think it adds anything. I mean, I could be wrong if folks at home, you're a huge fan of RoboCop and you think this B plot adds a lot of substance to. What little arc uh, is there for RoboCop and what little acting Weller actually does on screen? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm open to hear from you if you want to write in. But uh, I think, if anything, the, the, the rest that we get from the, the, the kind of the mediocre action or the overblown action is uh, it's just it's not engaging. I don't care about the corporation that made RoboCop. I don't care about you know the trying to climb the corporate ladder of this uh, 
of this, uh, you know, business police. Uh, I don't think it's good. So certainly comes off very 80s as well. And I think that's where this film, unfortunately, yeah. kind of shows Bleeds some of its 80s, huh? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So uh, I know I'm going to be controversial in this one. Uh, I, 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 knew it was, I knew it was coming. We'll uh, but that's why I wanted to tackle it because I think – you know, sometimes that's what you got to do to define yourself uh, as a reviewer. And I think allow, you know, Tom brought it up perfectly, allow my love of sci-fi to show how much of a flaw I think that this film has. It's been my feelings for a long time. I will admit, with further rewatchings, I have grown more positive to Ver Verhoeven's world building and what he does in the commercials, where at first maybe I just thought it was a cool style thing for that the film does, but I do appreciate it a lot more. But I'm telling you, the fundamentals of this movie, and primarily Weller as RoboCop, it is not worth your time. We're giving original RoboCop. Yeah, I said original. 38. <laughs> Woo! Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not that controversial. Again, we're watching in the here and now. A lot of people call it a masterpiece. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, first RoboCop. I mean... What a joke. But like you said, but, it's iconic doesn't mean that it's good. Exactly, I mean, exactly. How many Robocops do we have after this? Like, uh, Well, this is the only one that uh, that um, uh, Verhoeven does. Right. Peter Weller is with it, I think. Until no, he says three? Yeah. There's, well, there's and then there's one that came out in like 2014 just and called Robocop again. And that's a flat remake of the first one. Because that's what we do now. We just oh, remake. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. That was around the time when the Total Recall remake came out. The Ugh. Judge Dredd remake came out. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Dread was the only one to, to kind of pass the test of actually being, Actually did like it good. Yeah, yeah. Actually do something interesting. Was my boy in that one? Uh, <laughs> you have a lot of boys. No. Aylmer uh, uh, in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Um, he's in the boy. He's in the boys, yes. the show. Carl Urban. <laughs> yes, Carl Urban. He How is the guy, right? He's the guy. Yes. He, he, he is the guy, and he does a great job. Maybe we'll give that a watch then. Yeah. Anyway, okay, back to our back to our piss poor thirty eight here. <laughs> All right, so RoboCop, a classic that uh, that never was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I can't stress enough. You know, what I mean, iconic. You can even like style. I'll bring it up uh, all the time. Uh, I like a terrible movie called Mars Attacks. Uh, and it's because I like the style so much, but I I'm not really defending that as a great movie. Right, and, right. And I'm telling you, Weller is a, is a toxic, is a sleep wow. pill on this one. So, We just want to reach out to Weller now. <laughs> if he wants to donate and give a virtual slap, a oh, digital slap oh, to Van and what? donate, and then just lay into him, we, we, we'd gladly read the note on We're air, We're going to get like an animatronic hand uh, in the studio <laughs> and, <laughs> and slap ourselves. Um, okay, so, all right. So we're still in 1987, the same year. This movie, I'm really excited for you to mm. uh, to do. I was excited that you did this one when we sat down here. Yeah. So we're gonna go on to the Untouchables and get another classic. Mm. And uh, does this one hold up and yeah. deserve it? I, I I was I was pretty positive on Untouchables. Uh, Brian De Palma here directs this, uh, and he's a bit all over the map. Uh, we have such heights as Scarface, but. Uh, mm. Equally bad, bad ones, uh, primarily everything he does, does after 2000. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a bit all over the place. The Untouchables is a mostly fictional telling uh, of the real-life events around mob lore Al, Al Capone, uh, played by uh, <laughs> big money De Niro himself. Yes, sir, yeah. Uh, and the federal agent Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner. This is really a tell, tale of a squad of agents, uh, including Sean Connery himself, to take down crime and possibly the most corrupt period in 
in U.S. history. I mean, you don't get more deep into corruption, really. You look at modern type of mob uh, or just organized crime type of stories, there's there's steps in place for the corruption. There are no br- barriers. There's no there's no mm-hmm. fence between the corruption. And I, I I'll return to this, but I think that's probably the best thing that this this idea of telling the story has going for it because it's really it, it's really interesting. Not ha- you know just seeing how much control Al Capone has and how much our characters have to jump through hoops for that reason. Right. You know, Sean Connery is great. In this. Oh, good, oh, good, good. Yes, and thank God because he saves the side of the law. I was really not a fan of Kevin Oh Connors. no, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so he's my low key guy that I want. I just want him to make it. Yeah, I think he's made it. Kind of. <laughs> he has this movie, Dan. What Dancing with Wolves? Dancing with Wolves. And now then he got Is forgot. Kevin Costner Field of Dreams. No, maybe I don't know. Who's in that new Kurt Warner movie that no one saw? <laughs> um. But just like, and then he just off the face of the map. I think he kind of got blacklisted a little bit. Oh, really? I don't know. I think he's, he's in like that Dennis Quaid Republic. Like, they're kind of like Republicans, oh, but and they get in Hollywood. They kind of get blackballed a little out. bit. But then he started doing Yellowstone, mm. which I watched. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not that great of a show. <laughs> and he does this weird thing with his voice that's bothersome. But I like him. I sure. like seeing Kevin Costner yeah, on the yeah. television. And I think there's there's been good stuff he's been in. But in this, and maybe it's the character writing. It's it's maybe two, takes two to tango kind of thing. Yeah, uh, he's just so blah. He's so Boy Scout. Um, oh, okay. He just does not live up to a figure like Ness in, I don't know, heroics, honestly. And there's just, just, there's just no impact uh, that he has. Uh, he's just there to be our perfectly good moral compass, and it's a, it's a concept that we revisit on the show. There's got to be salt and pepper. There's got to be marbling. I need good and bad. You a know? bit of a that, moral gray character. Yeah. You could be mostly good, but there's got to yeah. be something there. And he's like perfectly good. And Boy Scout is really the word I yeah. would use. Uh, luckily, like <laughs> I said, Connery saves all of this for the good guy's side uh, because he is driving the whole film as far as events that actually happen. Uh-huh. Uh, as this semi-fictional character that's a beat cop turned first, you know, secret, not not secret, but inside agent, uh, special agent, I guess would be the word, and, and really just brings a great intensity. His character is messy in every way a 1930s cop should be. <laughs> I mean, that's that's primarily racist against Italians. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's good for that reason because, man, it, it's, he... he he is almost so flawless in what he knows and how he guides the squad mm. against Capone. You need a big uh, hit against him. You need something to bring him down because he's such joy on screen and he has all the answers because of his long career right, in, right. in being a beat cop. You need something to bring him back, and boy, do they bring him back with this you know, this peppering of de facto racism, and it, it's just, it's very, very good. That is the salt and pepper. Uh, that is the marbling that we talk about. The film itself as well, I, I believe Connery says multiple, multiple times, things are done differently in Chicago, and Connery is the only performance here uh, that is actually going to walk the talk, if that makes sense. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He, he is the the single follow through uh, on on on. He really know, delivers uh, this yeah, character, a, a, a character with a lot of screen time. Yeah, 
the, the peppering of, of, of how to make a character with good and bad and and just again just a huge he sells it too it. he yeah. got the Oscar correct yes yeah the one and only Oscar win for him is in this film and deservedly uh, so de- very deservedly so uh, let's be real though a big reason why you watch this film is De Niro <laughs> uh, and <laughs> With only about a, a, a dozen quick scenes, uh, it almost against all odds, he makes a, a tremendous presence on screen. Mm. Uh, really good. Um, he's often shot at very low angles. It emphasizes his lavish surroundings in 1930s Chicago. It emphasizes his his also dynamic of always being over people. He's always talking on stairs in this. Like really? stairs are De Niro's prop <laughs> in Untouchables. <laughs> it's it's great. Uh, it just it's just so well executed upon. I, I love it. It, it, the real shame of it is that it's just a very minor role, even with some main conflict, and it's 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 you know it's, it's about taking him down. It's Al so. Capone, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, he's just very lightly peppered in there. It is one hundred percent good when he is, but he's far from being you know a significant portion of the of the film. Okay. So. Uh, like I said before, this setting and time period, I think, is critical for me recommending this film. Uh, a, a modern interpretation of this, I would say, is probably like an American gangster, where mm-hmm. you have a squad being built, and we have peaks to the other side, uh, primarily the, the organized crime element. Sure. That's a real good-ass movie. Very good <laughs> and, movie, and, yeah. and in Abs- modern day, absolutely. you know, how do you carve out a spot to recommend something uh, like this? I think... That's why this time period is critical to my recommendation of this film. Uh, the 1930s investigative work has unique stakes to this. This is before protective services of the families uh, of the agent. I think this film is constantly creating moments of shock with just how integrated Al Capone is with his corruption of the police force and and how interwoven he is, how much of a puppet master he is. In that, even though De Niro not in the movie that often we are constantly feeling his presence as the antagonist which I think is a really nice balance yeah that's cool that's cool yeah I I can tell you what I don't like is how rosy Hollywood the action is Uh, that was a too clean cut it's yeah it's it's very very heroic very triumphant yeah yeah Uh, it's a little bit of a mismatch okay Uh, you know you want to be a little bit more gritty yeah, maybe that's a lot to ask. Have for some realism, kind of. In '87, share uh, some blood that over oh, from RoboCop. <laughs> bring some of that in, I guess. Yeah, for real. There's uh, just just to nail down my criticism. There's one specific sequence on the Canadian border, and it's just it's very like Hogan's Heroes. It's just I don't know. It's just very uh, the good guys are going to win, and right, we're yeah. happy to watch the good guys. Win. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and. I don't know. It just, uh, my preference for a darker story aside, it made me ask, uh, this was the guy that directed Scarface? <laughs> oh, damn, that's, that's a good you know, point. Uh, this is the You're guy kinda... that directed the most brutal chainsaw sequence I've ever seen right. in film, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's, uh, you know, I don't You're know. You're kind of waiting for it almost. Yeah. You're like, all right, when's the big scene going to come? Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know, again, maybe the goal, the objective, these are, Elliot Ness especially, I mean, these this are This is good versus bad. This is yeah. truly good versus bad. And he needed to draw those lines. Maybe that plays into how uh, Costner is is casted in this, because yeah. they specifically want Boy Scout. Yeah. You know? We'll carry the water for him. That's yeah. fine. We'll help him out wherever we'll we can. We'll help. <laughs> 
But um, I would say, again, beyond my preference for a darker story and a little bit of a, of a tone mismatch, uh, I'm not going to criticize it too much because I think there is a lot that this film gets right. Sean Connery, as said before, gets his only Oscar win, and that is certainly a recommendation for me. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give The Untouchables a 77. Ooh, very good. I love that. And and well worth your time. You know what? I think I'm going to watch this in the next couple of days. Yeah. I've got and bits Connery's and pieces. So good. I think as a kid, I remember watching some pieces. Yeah. And that's mm. like, we forget about Connery sometimes. Mm. And he's yeah, really we definitely in do. a lot. And he, you know, he died a couple a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. I love that. 77. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well worth your time. Uh, okay, so that's 87. We're jumping to 92. And again, another big movie that you hit. I know. I uh, know. This is Rob Reiner's A Few Good Men with a big cast. Yep. And how did this classic fare? Yeah, so... I guess you call this classic, right? I mean, yeah, oh, this yeah, is, for this sure. Is now 30 years. I think so. Years. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Rob Reiner is really a director I never thought I enjoyed. Um, Harry Met Sally, though, uh, I, I liked a lot. We covered that on the podcast. Um, Misery. Uh, yep, in the in kind of the proto testing days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so for, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think we recorded. <laughs> so before we started this, folks, I think we recorded like a one proto yeah, show. Yeah. Maybe it was just we tried testing the mics. Maybe and, we did you know. two because we did one in the in the closet studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had. We that had was a, like we, three and a half feet by three and a half feet. A lot just, more cramped space. For yeah, sure. two two. You know, two boys just can't fit in there. <laughs> But yeah, that's right. But but you liked Misery as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Misery, I I would I would definitely put in kind of a must watch type what, of category. What's that one and... that people love that you and I despise? Oh, Princess Bride. Oh my God, oh, we're gonna get flagged. For I Princess don't care. <laughs> that is true. You and I sat down to watch that, expecting an amazing. That's movie. all you heard. Yeah, maybe the expectations killed it for <laughs> us. I don't know. I agree, though that was that was that was that was something else. That was a shit show. Okay, yeah. but this. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but again, okay, a few good men uh, and a little positive, pretty positive. Yeah, yeah, no, this was a, a really good movie. Uh, I, I I enjoyed this a lot. A uh, few good men is. Up to up to bat after uh, Misery and Harry Met Sally in his in, in Rob Reiner's directing career, uh, and this m- movie is a, a you know true blue investigative courtroom drama around basically just some hazing events in Guantanamo, and I think military culture, the military culture in the film. It, it blinds most of our characters. I think probably the best thing the film does is show the logic of both sides, how consuming a military uh, mindset, uh, especially a, a almost like cult-like uh, mindset it could be, uh, the ultra-dedicated, and then the that is contracted, or uh, not contracted, contrasted with those that have no discipline. Uh, that's... Uh, Primarily, uh, our boy Tom Cruise. <laughs> so, I, I think it's very easily easy to dislike how hard the military characters are in this. Uh, how maybe even cartoonish the military characters mm. are in this. I think that could very well be a criticism of it. But by the end, I, I, I promise you, it's it's a good ride because the film strategically maybe casts them in a cartoonish light, in a very typical light for this ultra-military angle, uh, and opens it up throughout that. Part of that wonderful opening up is related to the writer. This was one of Aaron Sorkin's original plays, mm. so him writing this, as far as the screenplay, is yeah. perfect. Unlike a similar story, yeah. let's... Uh, 
let's just say the K mutiny. Uh, <laughs> let's get it out. The weekly, the weekly, <laughs> the weekly reference to K mutiny. Uh, yeah. Uh, if that maybe has a similar story, the inciting incident is shown immediately to the audience. So we actually give a damn to pay attention, especially okay. to give a damn to the more courtroom drama of this. Uh, that is the whole point of the film. Events are layered much more expertly in this. And while it certainly lengthens the runtime, I think this clocks in 240. Or maybe it just felt like uh, 218, I think. Oh, 218. Only. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An overestimate on me. Uh, it's it's it really is much more engaging for that reason. Just Sorkin's writing style of how to layer events, how to just engage the 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 audience. It's huge. So I mean, and courtroom dramas can be really iffy with you, kind of. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean Very some, iffy. Right, right. And sometimes it's hidden. It's sometimes a lot of times it's an absolute miss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so this kept you engaged enough. There's enough like good content where it's like, oh, this is like real. This mm-hmm. feels real almost. Um, realism. I don't know. Realism, uh, part of my my critique with courtroom dramas is because when they're breaking the logic of introducing evidence or uh, just quite literally something that cannot happen in an actual courtroom setting of how a case has to be conducted, it it does kind of take me out of it. It's razzle-dazzle. I would levy the same kind of criticism at a finale to a blockbuster film. Okay, Uh, It's breaking its own logic to create more excitement on screen. I think what's good about this is it does have some razzle-dazzle, it does have some realism, but it's primarily how we're uncovering the events, how we are paying attention along with Demi Moore, with Tom Cruise, to find out and unravel it alongside them. So it's good, yeah, it's delivered well to the audience. Exactly, exactly. Let me put it this way. If the goal is the courtroom scene, the, Sorkin does a great job at making sure our characters are dealing in law for the entire time. Mm-hmm. So we're okay. establishing vernacular. We're establishing how they react to certain situations. Tom Cruise is you know, in this profession uh, through the military, but he is historically has not let any case go to court. He's a, he's a closer. He's a, he's a, oh, okay. You know, I see. Uh, he's getting plea deals and whatnot. Right. So, uh, I think just the whole time we're following along and we're invested. It's also makes sense that by the climax being the courtroom scene, guess what? We've been expecting it the entire time. So do you think part of the reason why it works so well is because it was really first made as a play? And it's just something so. about just yeah. like really hashing out the dialogue and mm-hmm. the delivery. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not too familiar with Sorkin's uh, Broadway or, or play work. Uh, really, it's primarily just all of his his writing for movies. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think from what my research was, this is one of three that were like made his career basically. Okay. Early on. Yeah, yeah. So, very interesting. And and like I said, I think if I had to put in a word, it's momentum. It's, oh, okay. It's, it's, it's momentum building towards, even though that courtroom scene, I may call it boring, I may call it razzle dazzle, it's still momentum. We've been building towards it, and it has stakes for that reason. Oh, cool. Okay. So, quick negative from me the soundtrack is yuck in this. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so bad. It's so Casio. That's a critical oh, review. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm getting more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Casio keyboard, um, Star Trek next gen, soft bells, uh, you know, it's just so oh. 90s, early 90s specifically, sounds so digital, so studio, it's... Like early Law and Order, or just like worse? Honestly, the the, the description for me is Star Trek next gen. It sounds like next gen. In a few good men. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's the it's the tone of the keyboard. It's that it's that soft bell synth. Oh, I have to watch uh, this movie now <laughs> just for this. Just to, yeah, yeah, because it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I, I just it, it just didn't hit with me. Like I said, it, it's a quick critique, uh, but it was taking you out a little bit. Yeah. It was a little bit just like, oh, what is that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I think uh, maybe just to give it some substance, why I would bring this up in this kind of setting for folks at home. If you're going to be watching something and you've never seen this movie before, so you're watching it whenever you're, you know, in present day, Mm -hmm. you're watching this, I I think the soundtrack is going to take you out. It's going to seem goofy in a very serious subject matter of hazing in Guantanamo, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? That's why we spend so much time talking about music because I really think it's it's so not talked about everywhere (laughs) else. And it's just like, it's kind of an unbelievably important part of most films. Yeah, Like really most films. So it's a good note to make. Yeah, yeah. And believe me, I, I, you know, I'm not immune to the passage of time. I think there's a good chance we look back to the 2010s and you you look at like a Hans Zimmer, you know, Inception, loud brass uh, type of feel, and maybe look at it just as silly. But uh, this one wasn't wasn't jiving for me at least. So, <laughs> acting wise, uh, what makes this movie? Is certainly not all Tom Cruise, but I will say it is still 100% Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, character, the, the, the character Tom uh, plays is uh, very well written. Uh, he is an agitator to kind of stoke conflict between the stern personalities we come across. When I described earlier, there are there's kind of a spectrum of the discipline, the ultra discipline to the no discipline. Tom Cruise is definitely that no discipline. So. I can respect strategically in a script, you need this character mm-hmm. to kind of complete the the, the, the array or, or the spectrum there. Cruz is very animated in this, very informal, and, and I, I definitely understand it is done intentionally. I will say, though, if you are not a fan of Tom Cruise normally, this is probably going to be a hard pass for you because he is cranked to 11 in really? this. Oh, yeah. This is like on par with like a Jerry Maguire or, or Top Gun, okay. I feel like, you know. And, and Chris, is it? I mean, does it? Is it called for? Maybe. Okay. I mean, it it kind of works and kind of doesn't. To be a a, a button pusher. You okay. Know? I mean, sure. He sure. Is, he is. I mean, he's a lawyer. You know. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you know, uh, closer at that. You know, a transactional lawyer, if you will. Yeah. So yeah, he, yeah. He sees things very, very cynically and 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 whatnot. It's just it's just like one hundred percent Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's like very Tom Cruise. It's on huh? blast. So uh, <laughs> you're starting Debbie, to sell me on this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have something to admit. Are you a Tom Cruise fan? So? <laughs> Demi Moore is good, but uh, I think she is always she's always paired with Tom Cruise. So and and really, regardless of the judgment call on on if you like Cruz's acting in this she just gets over over right she's hanging out and he's jumping on the couch yeah exactly oh she's Oprah sure. and he's still oh, Tom Cruise yeah you, it, it, there's a scene surprisingly similar to that <laughs> honestly uh, he does a whole he does a whole game show bit and I was like wow is anyone gonna get a chance to act I'm sure they had scripts walking into the day but <laughs> that's, that's pretty good <laughs> lines uh, but yeah it, it, my my I, I like Demi Moore uh, I will actually uh, throw a lot of praise Demi Moore in, in the film to come uh, but uh, she's just overstepped I would say absolutely a theme this week though is supporting cast is where my praise is Jack Nicholson is perfect as a villain in this he's so good is he? he probably so has great. less time on screen than De Niro in The Untouchables wow. But once again, just a, a presence on screen. He owns it. He just owns it. It's so good. Uh, so, so good. Uh, his character is not given a lot of screen time, but 
the first couple of appearances, he may represent what I was saying earlier about almost a cartoonishly evil outlook at towards the military. Mm. Uh, when you're watching early parts of this film, you say, oh, wow, this is almost like a hit piece for it. But what the script does and definitely what the end does for Nick, for, I was about to say Nick Cage. Wow. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> what the end does for Jack Nicholson he, once again, he opens that up. We expect one thing as the audience because the film has been building it up and masterfully almost. Mm -hmm. uh, it is given brevity, it is given realism, it is given an actual outlook to why a character like this would come about in, in, you know, in their environment, which I think is great. I, I think he's really key to Sorkin and, and Reiner's setting up the character uh, for the audience to assume one thing and then open the character into much more by the end. Another highlight supporting cast is Kevin Bacon himself. Cool. Yeah, he's good in this. I like Kevin Bacon a lot. He plays kind of the foil to Tom Cruise, where Tom Cruise's legal approach is very emotion-driven, very um, very salesman. Bacon is calculated, methodical, uh, and really the key to keeping the story engaging as he is the one throwing curveballs at our protagonist. Okay. Uh, still after justice, but that's why I use kind of, he's not an antagonist. He's, he's a foil. He's, he's a, he's a role re reverse or a mirror of Tom's character, which once again, credit to Sorkin, just understanding with a laser precision, what his characters are about and how to cast and, and craft uh, opposition to that. Okay. Very good. So, like I said, uh, this film uh, I'm not a fan of courtroom uh, courtroom dramas, and this was very much an uphill battle for me. Uh, but the writing here is just so precisely crafted and does so much to gauge the audience. Uh, the movie was able to win me over. Not even Tom Cruise could sink this one. We're going to go ahead <laughs> and give A Few Good Men a 75. Awesome. That's yes. good. Well worth your time. Yeah, it's good to see some of these classics are classics for a reason. You know, oh, they for hold sure. Up. For sure. But not 80s still for these two. Really, yeah. not 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 jumping in there, not touching 85, mm -hmm. you know. And that I think I think just some of the tone in both of these mm -hmm. are what holds it back. It's um both are maybe not safe cuz they deal with some heavy matter, but I was not feeling 80 on on either of these. I would not say Untouchables or A Few Good Men. It's getting there. Is is saying before you die, you gotta you gotta do right, it. Right, right, and that's really you what know? it is. I mean, we'll go over. We haven't really kind of sure, gone through yeah, it in it's a while, a minute, but yeah. like basically how we do it, folks. Where again, Rotten Tomatoes are giving away 98s and 100s <laughs> like candy. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's a much tougher score here, but we think it's more representative. You know, and then it's this is critic reviews. It's going to be tough. So mm -hmm. you know, 50 is a complete average. Average film. We had mm -hmm. the Adam Project um, the other week, and that, that was a fifty-one. Because you were like, "This is kind of representative in the absolute oh, average film today." A perfect example of it. Um, so, sixties is a good movie. Seventies, you're on a very good movie. Mm -hmm. And once when you hit eighties, these are some truly top-notch films. But we kind of count once when you're at that eighty-five mark and mm -hmm. up. This is where it's it's. We say on the website, it's hitting enough marks on enough levels where this is a truly. Must watch. A must watch make film time pretty for much it. for all audiences. Mm -hmm. You know, make time for it exactly. Something you should see. Um, and for those handful, you know, we have about 10 or 12 in the 90s. These are films that are the best pictures ever made, really, in the history of, you know, the last 100 years in cinema. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is where that belongs. But that's kind of our, our grading score. People think that we're being too harsh or something like that. You know, understand that we're coming from it from a. The daily ratings is, we're looking at this. V 
you know, you're a film critic. Yeah. You know? And this is yeah. a this is you come to get the critical review mm-hmm. of things. And that's why it's not uh you won't be getting high eighties and nineties just like anything. And so much of the it's outlook kind of just ridiculous. Yeah. So much of the outlook is is about what's worth your time too. Exactly uh, right. You know, exactly I mean I right. think I think that plays into a big theme of you know, maybe let's go back to the robo Robocop conversation. Iconic, certainly. But worth your time in the modern day uh, of, of how much uh, an action movie well, can it's, engage it's, and whatnot. If you you're going mean? to sit down and watch a film, and watch mm-hmm. a motion picture, is it one that's going to be – you want to enjoy it. Right, Worth right. your time and also like you're giving your time. Mm-hmm. You set time away for this movie. Yeah. You know, watch something that's going to be good. Exactly. Um, and that's kind of – so that's where our, we lie and that's where our 70s are, kind of how we talk about – you know, once we hit those 80s, it's a big deal. Again, that mm-hmm. 85 mark is really true must watch get yourself you know to see it yeah. basically yeah but that's kind of how we operate here everybody kind of still you know. laughing at the yuck <laughs> <laughs> you like that you called me out on it right away i thought oh, yuck was gonna be all right it was no it was it was i just i never i don't think i've ever heard you use it before yeah i don't yeah podcasts are not packed <laughs> right right <laughs> no i liked it um Okay, so we're still in the 90s. We're in 97 here. Uh, This is the most topical... uh, I think the most topical review we've done. Trolley review that (laughs) we've ever done. Correct. Um, All right, so folks, this is... uh, We're in 1997. This is G.I. Jane. Our bridge here is uh, Demi Moore. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I was, you know, really scratching my head this week over, you know, what to... How to tie these movies together, even remotely... I was looking at Demi Moore's movies, uh, and, and and almost prompted by how much Tom Cruise was outshining her, and and was really you know hit with a uh, with a lightning bolt with a an idea or you could say a slap across the face. <laughs> G.I. Jane this guy is, is really <laughs> going into the barrel for these. <laughs> Woo boy! Oh man, G.I. Jane is shockingly a Ridley Scott movie. Uh, the '90s for Ridley were spotty, but after this, he does Gladiator, which is like wow. That's his um, last, and after Gladiator, mm, it's downhill, right? Maybe not his last. I don't know. Yeah, okay. You spotty. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we've gone at length for Ridley. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm really not sure what turns it around, uh, but I, I think this was a really good spotlight for Demi Moore. I was no joke, very happy to watch this because Demi Moore was not given a spotlight in the previous film, uh, despite having you know top bill casting. Uh, but this is really her movie. She is a naval intelligence officer in the beginning of the movie. That quickly becomes a, a pawn in a game uh, of gender politics that is within top security leadership. She enters the toughest test of all, advanced training uh, through the Navy SEALs. Uh, and her overcoming this is pretty much a majority of the plot. Uh, I'll go into, okay. uh, and I have a note later on for it, but just to give you kind of a ballpark, maybe it's not the best comparison, but it reminds me of like a Heartbreak Ridge or not comedic at all, but like a Stripes where uh, a lot of the film is happening on base uh, or during training, and then the razzle-dazzle is real-life conflict. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They they put their their skills honed in all movie to the test, and writing-wise, we have tiebacks to that, you know, in that final finale. When it comes to these training sequences, I think they're fairly decent. Uh, We have a solid half of the movie 
exploring this secondary Navy SEALs training, uh, and I would say it works because of its intensity. I, you know, of course, I'm no person to to say if it's accurate or not. Uh, in some of my, uh, you know, uh, basic surface level research, I, I've seen some criticism uh, from that that it's it's not fully accurate. But you know, uh, I think this film understands it needs to sell the idea. Uh, it needs mm-hmm. to sell the idea that Demi's a badass, and right. it really does. Uh, I would say there is a, a lot there that avoids the pitfall that I expected, and that pitfall was uh, gender politics being brought up in, in, in every every corner of this film, and I expected that to be every ounce, or at least nauseating in how much it yeah, was like put I, in front like of eye you. Yeah, like eye-rolling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really not bad. I think Demi earns some real badass points on her own, and while maybe predictable in structure, I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's like an amazing film, I think the film, once again, it understands what it's selling. It's selling her being a kick-ass woman and beating, you know, what everyone thinks she can't do. And I think that's a good way to write an empowerment story. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's definitely gender politics in here, but it's not modern day. And in that sense, it was kind of interesting to watch. So Probably refreshing in a way. Yeah. You know, it's coming on, it's 25 years old. Right, right. And yeah, politics back then, I guess it's it's still dancing on that edge of a knife. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you could slip up on it where you're sitting there rolling your eyes mm-hmm. and it's just like, we get it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, still with this story, but... You know, if, if 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 he's writing that, if Ridley is is balancing that really well, mm-hmm. um, it probably actually is almost refreshing to watch. Yeah, you know? yeah, and and maybe he understands the challenge, or 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 the uh, the writing team understands the challenge that. You know, if every character is going to be against her in some way, we really need to make her likable and and badass and whatnot. And and Demi's performance is huge here. She saves this movie from being a bad movie single handedly. Oh wow! Okay, single handedly. So she. So maybe a good comparison is like Atomic Blonde, mm. where it's just like okay, it's like we need to make this female badass, so we're just going to make her the most badass thing right, and beating right. up every single man that walks into a room. Right, right. It's not really like cheesy. No. Those are almost like cheap shots, kind of. Yeah. This is doing it much more organically, mm-hmm. and really we just have a badass woman here yeah. and realistic in, in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or or I think better yet, it if anything, because the film recognizes what's against her, okay. kind of a woman versus society type of, if you want to understand the conflict from that point, Yes, there are these type of uh, in-your-face, you know, plot points around a lot of who she interacts with hating her for just being a woman and whatnot, but it's compelling to see her overcome that, and I would rather that than, like, a femme Ghostbusters or a femme Oceans movie where they're stepping into it, and it's not confronted, and they've come across no confronting of what the real question or what the real elephant in the room mm. is, is like they would naturally, as as females, encounter this type of sexism, encounter this type of bias. Right. And if anything, in this film, what it does, by pointing that out, we give Demi Moore and her character, it's Jordan, some, Jordan O'Neill, uh, a chance to overcome it. And guess what? Now the audience likes her. Because right. Of yeah, that. yeah, yeah. She's earned it. Yes. You know, this is not Mary Sue stuff, you know? And the big uh, thing is that the acting is good, too. The point is, she said Demi Moore's doing a good job at selling it. Yes, too. yes. You know, I, I, mean? I would say this film was 
was destined uh, for low 40s until I realized just like, you know, I mean, she's she, doing a good job. She's doing a good job and, and single handedly, too. So, uh, well, so I, <laughs> I know your question, Tom. I know Thomas Trekker. How's we go? <laughs> That's exactly. I was going to say, how's my other boy? My boy's in this. <laughs> He looks cool. He is very cool. Yeah, I mean, well, not cool in character, but he, yeah, I mean, he's got like a cool, like, just, 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 okay, yeah. he sucks. Does he, is he bad in the movie? He's, he's not exactly the cartoonish uh, sexism that she has to go up against. Uh, not entirely, at least. Uh, I would say that that's where I really get this kind of heartbreak ridge. I, that's such an old comparison, but I really couldn't think of another like boot camp type of movie. Mm-hmm. But he's, you know, he's tough on her for a reason. Right. You know, some of that comes off good. Some of that comes off very cool. You know, again, as far as his look, and this is an early performance for Vigo. I think we're maybe one or two before this. I don't know. What's that? What do you mean? Uh, performance, just just his acting. Yeah, no, he goes back maybe further than you think, but he's got some in the early nineties, I think. Okay, okay. Uh, he's he's a quiet actor. Yeah, you very, know what I mean. Very. He's very low key for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's four years before um, mm-hmm. Fellowship of the Ring, so true, true. And yeah, uh, I you know as far as Vigo's appeal on screen, uh, good. But honestly, I think everyone besides Demi is. Kind of just a, a middle of the road, you know. I'm not saying it's, it's super bad. Some is cartoonishly, you know, against her and cartoonishly sexist. Right, right. But they also need to do that to kind of define the character for this, this, you know, ultimately this kind of action film with a, with the, with the gender politics spin. I would say a critique of this film is is really, you know, just little is done. I would say if they gave Vigo, for instance, mm-hmm. more of a chance to have some depth. Fantastic, but really so much spotlight is put on training, conflict around her being in this Navy SEALs program, her being in a all-male program in general, which definitely is stakes for the film, but what suffers is we don't care about any of the other characters, and unfortunately Vigo falls in that yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. He's there for one purpose, and that's yeah. to give her a hard time. Exactly. So she can prove to the audience that she's worth it. Exactly. And the characters exactly. on screen. And yeah. maybe have a little bit of a heart of gold, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah. You know, but uh, that that that's that's his 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 role in this, and that's the, honestly the role of, of, of a lot of the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a shame because... The film works in where I thought it would fail, and it still is unfortunately a little bland because of this reason. And just, just there's no, there's nothing more than it. Yeah, so, yeah. It's uh, like I said, uh, you know, this type of comparison to a on base type of drama, and and the tiebacks of the script are tied into what they've learned in the course of establishing relationships and connections with their unit. That is kind of the archetype of this film. This plot is really focused in the training element, and maybe that's somewhere some of the criticism comes from hardcore veterans or uh, fans critiquing the training element of this Navy SEALs thing as, uh, or, or this, this this secondary training as something that's a, a hard critique to the film because the film does put a lot of time towards it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But I, I would say 
it, it's it's not above, or rather, I would say it's not below anything average, just because it does hit a good amount of marks. Uh, I would say, uh, again, why this all works is 100% on Debbie's shoulders, and I really did not expect to be praising this performance this much. Again, you'd be rolling your eyes, kind of. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. I was walking into this for the troll, if yes, you will. Yes, yes. <laughs> for the troll, and expected to hate it in some ways, uh, and came out not hating it in some ways, not liking it in others, but definitely not bad. You know, I think Demi saves this from being a bad movie, and I think that's a hell of a feather in her cap. Sure, you know? absolutely. So, like I said, more than anything, if uh, if there's going to be praise for Demi, it's that this is her show. I can't say that there's a lot of movies that I've seen with her in, but if you folks at home find that you are a fan of Demi Moore and somehow have not seen this film, I think this film might be might move a little bit more above average. Uh, but overall, I'm glad it was not a entire waste of time. Absolutely. We're gonna go ahead and give G.I. Jane a 52. Oh, okay. <laughs> you thought it was gonna be better. Well, the way you were talking about it, I was like maybe sixty-two, but yeah. so this is just just literally two notches above average. Two notches kind of. above, and and destined to be in the lower forties. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's saved. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Know? I think that yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I can totally so, see that. Yeah. Okay, so that's fifty-two. So the second slap right in uh, will be Will Smith. It's true. And Peter the Weller's digital slap. Two digital yes. slaps coming yeah. our way. Hopefully, two, two animatronic arms that we'll invest into. <laughs> Um, and how that can happen for them is, and everyone else, wow. is, they could be ready for this transition. They could become um, a producer of the daily ratings, and everyone listening here, um, you too can be a producer of the daily ratings. We don't want to listen. We don't really want to look at you as listeners or just you know an audience or something like that. Vin and I host the show, and, and you all will help produce the show. And how you can become a producer is you go to the dailyratings.com. Uh, you go to the top navigation bar, and there's the donations tab. You click on that, and through monetary support, you can give and donate whatever amount of value that you want. Uh, we have set donations that you can go ahead and click on, and weekly or monthly. Uh, you can set your own donation. That's a value for value do- donation. Are you getting value from the podcast from the website? Mm-hmm. If you could, give us back whatever value that you thought you got. You know, whether that's a few bucks or whether that's a few hundred bucks, whatever. You know, we're having a good time with this. It takes a lot of time per week, and it takes money as well to keep this going. We think it's a good product, but we know there's room to improvement. The cool thing is that when you donate, as long as you do donate some sort of money, uh, you can write us a note, and you can give critiques. Um, uh, we had a very nice one that was praised the other week. <laughs> right, right. Um, which Unexpected. Was, which was, yeah, very kind. And But really, what it is, it's opening dialogue with you as well, you know? You're a producer of the show, and that means something. So your voice matters, and you have that box there to type in whatever you want. And we'll read it on the air. If you want to be anonymous, you can click the anonymous box, and mm-hmm. Vin and I will know who you are, but we're not going to say your name of on course. air, basically. We'll just read you as anonymous. Mm-hmm. And again, it's opening a through line to you, a dialogue with you. And it keeps us from having to go into random advertising. You know, It keeps us from doing advertising on the site that's going to bog it down and make it slow. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we're doing. It's a value-for-value value model. We're not the first to do it. And we think that this is the way to go for podcasting. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to keep this going and, again, build up a little, uh, a little daily rating family here so for all of you who are enjoying this again it's it's the dailyratings.com go to the donations tab and hey become a producer uh no producers this week but we're still early on in this the site was down a little bit the donation site was a little bit down as well and uh but that's back up and running and you can go there now but other that other than that that's it we appreciate all you we're going to go on there and help us out and if you don't want to donate or don't think it's that worth it if you could you know if you're still liking it though 
just tell a friend. Absolutely. Leave a good review. Absolutely. You know, again, this is this is the early days here for us, and we're mm-hmm. trying to make a mark. And you know, we we think we're making a good product for you guys. Maybe not yeah. perfect in areas, but you know, we really do think that there's there's things that we're doing better, and that's kind of why we think that why we decided to exist kind yeah, of in yeah. this space. We exactly. don't like, like we said, the Rotten Tomatoes, the IMDb's. It, mm. It's just, it's a joke. It's laughable. Yeah. Um, and it gives that's you a, no direction. Just yeah. And that's where the fair, honest, consistent comes in. And that's mm-hmm. really, really what we try to do because mm-hmm. at most, you are what's most important and that you're the ones that are going to keep us doing this, basically. Absolutely. So we appreciate it, folks. Uh, now, with that, we're going to go ahead. Those were our four previously released, released films. We now have our Now in Theater film, um, our last one. We have a fun one here. This is The Lost City, directed by the Knee Brothers, who I've never heard of, but we have Aaron Knee, Adam Knee directing. Yep. Uh, the Lost City, Vin. Uh, how, how do we do? How do you enjoy this comedy? So, yeah. So, uh, reviewing comedies, I'm glad you introduced it that way. Reviewing comedies are kind of going to be a rough spot because I, I don't... <laughs> I I don't no. find myself watching comedies on my own, uh, new or old. Um, I I will I will try my best <laughs> not to be uh, a buzzkill with this. Uh, but uh, I think when something doesn't work, I I just have to illustrate my thoughts on it. You know, what I mean that's the best thing I can do. Um, we we've talked about it on episodes in the past. But, Absolutely. You know, if 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 you don't agree with me, uh, my goal is at least just to explain in detail where I'm coming from with it. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, uh, in that you can find you know where you position even in relative to me. Uh, the classic thing is. So. Tom likes westerns than I more more than I. Yeah, and I like sci-fi's more than uh, than than Tom. So I will to say you do check yourself at the door though with the sci-fi. Yeah. you know what I mean. You don't go in there just just all I don't know rosy hearted and then walk right. out rosy hearted. I definitely so you, gave you Robocop a thirty-eight. So. Oh, that's so I'm definitely go. gonna get crucified. But comedies, it's not that you hate comedies. It's just like you know when you're looking for depth and great picture and great film creating. Yeah. You know what I mean? With some comedies doesn't hit. Now I will say. As far as the daily ratings go, we're, we're short on comedies, and we have talked about it that sure. we're going to start building it up because Absolutely. again, it's just it's know, coverage, it's Wait, content, and it's 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 for the yeah. it's for the producers and everything mm-hmm. like that. But the problem is with this one is is it, it, yeah, it's just I don't know. Uh, the writing <laughs> talent is all over the place on this one. Probably most notable is uh, I believe it's Oren Uzil. Uh, who okay. uh, wrote 22 Jump Street, among others, uh, with Tatum, uh, and also uh, seems to be the authority on Mortal Kombat, uh, even writing the Mortal Kombat oh, really? fan, <laughs> fan stuff. So uh, good for RN for locking down that franchise. Okay. Uh, the <laughs> Lost City stars Sandra Bullock uh, as a writer of paperback romance novels, the type you would see in a grocery store, the type that are very much kind of softcore <laughs> porn <laughs> for for <laughs> housewives. Uh, she, as a character, is trying to find um, kind of lack of adventure uh, in both her writing, her career, and 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 her life. Well needed in there. Um, on a book tour, Channing Tatum is added into the press circuit, and he is the stand-in for. Among that paperback grocery store novel, a Fabio character. He's supposed to be this this uh, cover <laughs> model that is popular with middle-aged female demographics of the book series. And uh, it, it's an interesting pairing because Tatum is, is really good at playing dumb but lovable. <laughs> I think that's definitely his brand. Uh, and uh, definitely a it brings the kind of heart of gold that we expect to be with 
Fabio or something like that. You know, he's just he's a cover model. Right, you know right, I mean? yeah. A lot of that is is uh, getting tangled up into a comedy adventure when Daniel Radcliffe strands them in on on an island that holds the setting of Bullock's uh, recent book, uh, The Lost City of D. And there's there's plenty of plenty of dick jokes with that one. So, okay. Oh, is it? The Lost City of D. <laughs> I think where there is any promise to this film it was in the possibility of parody. Bullock's character is a self-described, it's within the movie, a writer of trashy schlock. They use the word schlock, which I was like, <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, and I was really hoping the film would use a typical style of one of these paperback romance novels and use it to make a fun take on the story. Uh, maybe more of like a Mel Brooks approach to it, that there are parody mm. and satire sure, to it. Sure, sure. Not that I would say, I, I I don't know, not that I would say I'm a, I've read even a single paperback romance novel <laughs> like this, so maybe there are, you know, callbacks <laughs> or tiebacks to that style, but... <laughs> Uh, it, it really just does nothing with it. Uh, no, the movie is just a vehicle for, you know, shitty jokes and awkward humor. Uh, I <laughs> Tatum is a buffoon. His his arc is around Bullock just judging him uh, at face value. He's a cover model, right? Judging at face value, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> the, not rocket science, certainly. <laughs> um, but he he he's got he's shown he's got more to give, and I think that's a little bit been there, done that. I will say, multiple actors can make their mark in that way. I honestly don't know if Channing Tatum has kind of played that character that kind of gets unraveled to be deeper towards the end that certainly played out among comedies i think it's relatively fine and if there's anything kind of all right with this movie it's 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 channing tatum uh, and, and oh and really again, some of the supporting cast oddly enough the theme this week the tie is yeah. not gi jane <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that the supporting cast saves these well uh, and you know my my boys and <laughs> <laughs> too many boys i know too many boys let's talk about sandra bullock she is moody she is annoying uh, <laughs> She is the straight man to the comedy, so she's going to be the um actually or the the very adding a factoid to bring Tatum down on excitement. It deflates a lot of comedy. I do not find her in this kind of straight man, straight woman performance mm. um, enjoyable. I would say both are decent when physical comedy is played out. But what fails for me is pretty much any time these two are cracking jokes verbally because it's not that Tatum's bad in that interaction. It's that Bullock's is just putting him down and it's just joyless. It's just really it joyless. Kinda, it shoots itself in the foot yeah. completely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, I mean, as far as if I had to give a kind of a, a calculus to this, uh, the comedy is like 25% physical gags. Which are mildly funny, twenty five percent. Yeah, I yeah. guess I guess that is a lot. Twenty five percent is like jokes about intelligence, putting down Tatum, and fifty percent is putting Channing Tatum in situations to look hot for softcore mom porn. Uh, that's straight up ah. what this demographic is. <laughs> and maybe there's, you know, let me just play devil's advocate with myself. Maybe there is follow through once again. With the Fabio character. Exactly. There is parody. There is, but... You just I, can't get away from I it. That it's, it's not it's, good. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, in, in the execution, and, a definitely, and definitely for the 
for the predictability uh, of the structure of this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not care put into that. Not that I think a lot of people could fact check a, a paperback romance novel on what, what the tropes are or anything, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, especially around with the Channing Tatum uh, mom porn. Hey, if that sounds like your bag, go do it. You know, it's, it's not for me, but I'm not going to knock it. It's a fun ladies' night. Me. Exactly. I'm not going to knock it. If I'm going to, yeah, <laughs> the one praise of Kimmy a couple weeks ago is a short haired blue girl uh, <laughs> being my demographic, <laughs> then uh, I can't, I Whatever. can't knock, yeah. you know, uh, seeing, seeing Tatum. So it's, it's 50 50. Honestly, laughs come from the supporting cast, though. Uh, Brad Pitt is great. Yes. In this. Okay. That's yes. my boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I thought you meant uh, Oscar Nuez <laughs> from The Office because he's in this as well. Oh, really? Oh my yeah, God, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and he's actually one of the one of the good ones. Uh, I think his, his character is very funny. It's a little bit of a just like a bit character, but Brad Pitt's character has a much bigger role, though. He is the gun for hire uh, mercenary type that is <laughs> <laughs> is brought in to try to save Bullock uh, initially. Yeah, he's, he he really he's is good. great. He's, he's so he's a great yeah. actor. Definitely a, a a situation where you can't get enough of him on screen. He's it, more than just a pretty face. Yes, you know where yes. Tatum's in there for a reason. And again, it's it's the Fabio character, so yeah. he's playing the part. Yeah, because he's got chops and and like uh, Logan uh, Logan Lucky. Oh, a little for bit. sure. Yeah. But yeah, Brad Pitt is like he could just he just sells the parts. He so does. Yeah, he does. That's good to hear. Uh, he, he did I, a good job. I actually was keeping an eye out if we got any like Brad Pitt eating kind of acting. Oh, he's of course, chewing, of course. The, yeah, classic. He's very yeah. He's 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 entertaining in this. Unfortunately, really not a lot to save this movie. Um, I, I would say, again, you're, you're dying to see him on screen again. Uh, but uh, the film isn't giving you the goods uh, as much as you would want. Uh, on the bad side of supporting cast is Daniel Radcliffe, of all people. Not good. Uh, I was... I mean, he is... Not funny and straight up annoying in this. So he has none of the <laughs> slight praise I gave Sandra. And it just is really not funny at all. Uh, I was initially a tiny bit excited to see him in a role, uh, but that excitement dissipated very quickly. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for Radcliffe to have, you know, something to break the mold of, of Harry Potter in a career. I don't think he's had that a, a defining performance just really? yet. I don't think... Well, I mean, not that Lost City would be the defining performance, you know what I mean? But maybe right, yeah. a jump into comedy, you know what I mean? Maybe a switch in genre helps him, you know, kind of have a new stage to his acting career. He's just like, I don't know, he's like a manic bad guy. See, and he not loves, funny. He yeah, he takes some really interesting roles. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he does that one where, like, he wakes up and, like, guns are attached to his hand. Oh, that's right. And guns it's like, Kimbo, a, yeah. and apparently it's, like, fun and Maybe just, like, that. action-y, you know what yeah. I mean? But he definitely takes those weird, did that one weird movie with Paul Dano, like, the oh, extremely weird right. one. Swiss Army, man. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. you know, he takes weird roles for sure, yeah. but annoying. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I mean, not that I don't think anyone's expectation is, you know, an amazing performance from right, him, but right. I was excited and it was a big downside to see that not only he doesn't even try kind of to be funny. Uh, he's just manic and obviously he's the bad guy in this, but it's just, 
it, it was it was a waste. Mm. Uh, definitely a a down. He detracted from enjoyment in the film in the comedy of it. So, uh, I would say the real problem with this story though is it is so predictable. I don't even think calling this an adventure film is correct. Uh, really? Yeah, because there is nothing that is exciting in this film. Uh, <laughs> even down to the second act uh, that has an argument at the end of it. Uh, everything between our characters, it's all been played out. I, I, I could almost, even if I didn't watch the film, which unfortunately I did watch this film, uh, I could I could, I could, could really... heat? Yeah, yeah. Too much heat? I don't know. That's what yeah. I said in the beginning. I didn't want to be a buzzkill, but predictability is, wouldn't you call that a, an Achilles heel for comedy? Because comedy well, is about, you know... We, we some want, sort of element of surprise. Yes, or, subverting or, expectation. Absolutely, you know? No, absolutely. Set up and pay off, you know what I mean? I, I may not be as versed as critiquing comedies and drama, but I know what is going to be a film that I feel confident in recommending, and this is not that. Right, so, right. I think... Are are the you know the the only I think the very only edges out a slight recommendation if you absolutely love our two mains leads, uh, love them enough to choke down a painfully generic story, <laughs> uh, but uh, that is where my critique ends up. Uh, like I said, I mean. I, I maybe maybe the challenge in future weeks is looking at comedies that I think hold up, and to a certain extent, we we have covered some stuff. Zombie special, Shaun of the Dead. You know what I mean? It's set up and payoff oh is, is something yeah. studyable and, and 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 able to be critiqued dis, despite comedic preference. But I I would say again, what what shoots this down is. Uh, again, predictability and and just the dropped ball of doing nothing with a, a fairly creative premise and elevator pitch for this comedy of yeah. this of of looking critically at book culture, paperback novels, <laughs> and and Fabio. We're gonna go ahead and give The Lost City a thirty three. Ooh, thirty three, the magic number. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, hey. The Lost City of D. <laughs> and they got an F on this one. Um, yeah, yeah, nice. I love this. I love this week's episode. The fact that we, we I'm went glad through, you liked it. I was we honestly through, sweating a little bit. Oh, really? It was, it was no, we went through the map. Oh, we went, but that's what I like about it. We went through some decades, and we've got two 30s and a 50 and two mm-hmm. 70s, and I love that. Good. Um, Good. Okay, so The Lost City with 33%. Now, Vin, is there anything else you want to add, or are we going to roll credits here? I don't think so. We talked enough about the Oscars. Um, yeah, I, I've this... got my jabs in, so... <laughs> yeah, this, it's like... Yeah, yeah. But uh, if anything, I, I, I just, just kind of... Uh kind of going off of the of the vibe here i think it might be interesting to challenge myself and and try to look at some comedies Uh, i worry that maybe there's some buzzkilly aspects to it because i'm looking at it through a certain lens of of a a critic and not just enjoying the film for the sake of the film but that's uh, a little bit of both though yeah and i think again i think like we've talked about it before i think you know it's just more more content on the site for folks <laughs> true, and, and comedies true. and especially hitting on some of those big ones. I think it'd be a lot of fun. A lot yeah. Of fun. Yeah. So, um, but that's about it. All right, Vin. Well, we thank you so much for uh, watching those movies for us and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for stopping by folks at home. We're going to run it through one more time here. So we have RoboCop with a 38%, the untouchables with a 77, a few good men with a 75 GI Jane with a 52 and the lost city with a 33%. We thank you so much, folks, for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If 
you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. You'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.